Welcome to the Home Lab Show, episode 85. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. We're even going to remember to throw something on here, which is the um, feedback at the Home Lab Show. We we had it on the screen last time for those that watch live, but for those listening, feedback at the Home Lab Show, we love hearing from you. So we want to make sure that uh, we're just going to get out there. We, we love interacting with the audience and making sure that, you know we're covering the topics that are you know in demand from the Home Lab audience of people getting started in this. Uh, the topic here today is the often contested and where everybody starts is uh, by distro hopping. I think that's that's how you learn Linux as you go, oh, I have choices and now I have all the choices. So let me reload all the choices as many times as possible. <laughs> or do what I do and just put a bunch of distros on Ventoy and then just multi-boot between them anytime I want to capture B-roll for you know whatever I'm reviewing. Fun yeah. times. <laughs> yeah, Mentoy would probably be recommended here. Uh, if this is this is a rabbit hole for you folks, um, distro hopping. It's fun. Uh, I don't want to say you outgrow it, but you kind of settle down maybe into one, or maybe you don't. Some people just have fun doing this. Uh, but we're going to talk about the different distributions, what might be ideal for your home lab. Uh, and please test all these out. And please feel free to have different opinions than us. So we, we may want to get you started on here for the distros. But uh, ultimately, it's your decision, what you feel comfortable with. And I know this is going to be a topic that probably generates a lot of commentary as well, because, boy, it is a uh, it is a like a real war people have about why they like the distro they like. So. <laughs> yeah, it's like it gets to a point where it's like a sports team where you're just really competitive oh. and you're not even playing the sport, but your team is the best and you need to let everybody know that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably yeah. true. Like for, for no particular reason, you've decided this is your sports team. Maybe you live in that area, you like whatever, how they look. And then you're like, this is the sports team I am dedicated to. So that's probably a good way to reference it. Uh, before we dive into this, let's thank our sponsor today. And that is Linode. They have lots of distros you can try very easily. Yeah. They have a cool store and you set up your Linode server and you can pick whichever distro or whatever app you want, some preloaded stuff in there. Linode is a great place to host lots of your projects that you may want to run in the cloud, but maintain some control over. They've been a great sponsor of the show since the beginning. We do encourage if you want to sign up to use our offer code down below which is the home uh the home lab show it's in the links in the description down below and in the podcast uh use that offer code sign up get started with Linode. thanks again for sponsoring let's just jump into distros because i'm excited to talk about them and me and you will talk about them but if you head over to reddit you will probably find people arguing about them which is also fun you can learn all kinds of fun yeah. things that way <laughs> well to be fair though it seems like reddit uh, people aren't arguing as much about distributions as they were. Maybe it's, we're just hitting a slow period after the holidays. Yeah, I'm, sh I'm sure know. the argument levels and and someone mentioning that they use Arch every few minutes will come back up, which is always one of my favorite means. By the way, I use Arch, which, by the way, I don't use Arch. <laughs> yeah, so at what point do you can you say I use Arch? Like, it's not my daily driver, but I always maintain one installation. So I do technically use it, but I don't use it. So I don't know where we draw the line there. So, but, but I mean, you have a Steam Deck, so true. Okay, fair point. All right, so I guess I run. So Arch. you play Arch. You play with Arch. That's interesting. <laughs> we'll go with that. We'll go with that. We can go with that. Uh, fun so, times here. I'm not going to go into any specific order here. Um, but before we get into this, though, there there's something that I say a lot. And I, I don't know if I mentioned this on this podcast because sometimes I, you know, just mention it. So when it comes to distributions, I mean, 
ultimately the goal is to pick one, right? I mean, whatever one resonates with you, it doesn't matter which one. I'm not going to, you know, shame anyone for their choice, even if it's um, Debian. No, I'm kidding. I, lo I love Debian. Um, Debian is actually one of the greatest, so I, I jest there. But the thing is, though, picking a distribution is difficult, but you just try them out and you land on one ultimately, like you were saying. But the thing is, I always feel like you should have a secondary, maybe even a third. Not, not I'm not saying you should, you know, run everything in parallel with another, like a two of every instance. But I feel like you should always have a backup distro when you do pick the one that you want to keep because you never know what's going to happen. Um, I mean, for a little bit, we thought CentOS would go away because of uh, the Red Hat merger when IBM bought Red Hat. That didn't happen. So we thought everything was fine. And then later on, you know, CentOS changed to CentOS Stream. That uh, confused a lot of people. So, so even when you don't think something's going to happen or this distribution that you're using is always going to be the same, maybe it will, but you should always have a backup distribution, especially companies, but I think HomeLab, that's also true. So I think it's a good idea to just maintain a secondary or just try your, you know, installing apps on the other one, just to kind of keep your toes in the water, you know, just in case your main distribution goes down a path that you don't want to follow. Um, for example, I'm I'm going to stay in the middle on this, but a lot of people don't like snap packages with, with you know with Ubuntu. But the fact is, Ubuntu is run by a company, so company shenanigans are within the realm of norm, like it or not. But you know, as they go that direction, someone may not want to follow that direction. Maybe for whatever reason, they don't uh, they don't want that on their system. They can go to a different dis distribution. It's a lot easier to do that if you are testing things on that other distro. So always have a Plan B, possibly Plan C. For me, it's um, you know, a daily driver for desktops is Pop! OS, but just talking about servers, it's Ubuntu server, number one, but I maintain Debian as a plan B and Arch as a plan C because, you know, I doubt anything will happen to Debian because of all the distros, it stays the same, but I maintain Debian as well. So I make sure to keep that going. But I, that's the first recommendation I'll make is just don't put all your eggs in one basket thinking nothing's going to change. And then at the last minute, just scramble to find a replacement. Um, we have a lot of distros and, you know, things happen. Yeah. And for me, I actually started out and of course I started in the nineties. So there was many, uh, options back then, you know, we had, well, we had Red Hat or we had Slackware. Um, and I think that was pretty much in Debian was in uh, its infancy there. So there was very few choices in the beginning. Uh, I actually started out in the Red Hat world, moved over to Debian and it came down to at that time, the RPMs and managing the packages, the term you don't hear as often in Linux is dependency hell. Uh, but boy, dependency hell was a real thing in the early yeah. days of Linux. This is where the package manager have come along. And even though package managers vary between distributions, they've all kind of learned from each other. Debian being one of the first with their app system, being able to say, I want to install this thing. I, you can start with the final thing you wanted to install in Debian. And they were one of the first to do this and would figure out all the supporting things you needed, all the supporting packages, and load them so you could get to your final uh, thing you want to load. This is one of the things that really sold me on that. And it's also the way Debian works from the back end has also made them the uh, very first distro that forked so many times. Like it is, as Jay said, the basis for so many different distros. And it's because yep. Debian is a very stable, predictable platform. A Red Hat solve many of these problems over the year but by solving problems th there are sacrifices that were made like backwards compatibility in the way they do things so when they started doing some retooling and re-engineering that 
didn't mean that you always wanted to base your distribution off of it. So everyone says, hey, look at these Debian people that have been doing the same thing for 20 plus years, the same way with the same apt command working. And so that's why you have a lot of things that are going to be Debian based. Yep, that's absolutely true. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there, have a plan B. Um, so we can start getting into distributions. I, I think we've been mentioning Debian so many times that we could probably just start with it. Um, yeah, let's start with Debian. Yeah, let's just start with Debian. So with Debian, there's going to be three branches, if you want to call it. They're not technically flavors, but you have Debian stable. And anytime I, I say Debian, I'm actually intending to say Debian stable, but we just simplify that down to Debian. A lot of people don't specify. Debian stable being the normal release that comes out um, actually whenever it's ready. They don't um, advertise a uh, release schedule of any kind. They might give you a release window and it'll be out around that same time, but they'll have a list of bugs that need to be fixed before it comes out. But when it comes out, um, Debian stable, they'll give you security updates, but they won't give you like new versions of anything. So if you're, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're just basically getting software from the official repositories, then your LibreOffice is going to be old. If you use it on a workstation, um, all of your software will be old. And that's just because of the you know the release model. It's just the way they do it. So security updates will keep coming in, but Debian's not a rolling release. It's probably the most opposite of a rolling release um, of any distribution. But rolling releases meaning there's no you know release in uh, the greater term. It's more like you know it, you just keep updating install once update yeah. forever basically debian is um i mean they they have a really um reliable upgrade system it, it kind of makes me nervous you know the way you do it in the, on the command line and it just works like i i haven't seen it fail too many times if ever so it rolls you could roll it over to the new release when it comes out but it's not rolling in the normal sense of the word it's just a stable distribution that doesn't change and I think that's a highlight for a lot of people. Um, the downsides of Debian, in my opinion, is that the hardware compatibility is the worst of all distributions out there. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that, but I'm just being honest. Um, because by keeping the kernel you know, back a bunch of different versions and um, hardware drivers are really old, I mean, chances are when Debian Stable comes out and you put it on a computer that was released around the same time, it's just not going to work because Debian froze like at least six months before then. So there's often no new drivers. But I think that's the main problem that people might run into. But Debian is doing something about it. They're actually uh, making improvements there. So I don't really know if that's going to be so much of an issue going forward. But if you know how to install drivers, how to how to find the drivers and everything, it's not really a problem. I think a lot of us, they use Debian. We know how to work around that. It's probably muscle memory at this point. It doesn't phase us at all. But it's, it is something to, to keep in mind. If you have a system and you try Debian on it, you try Ubuntu on it, um, even though Ubuntu is based on Debian, we'll get to that. Chances are Ubuntu is going to have better hardware compatibility. I remember when I set up a server one time, a physical server, I ordered from Dell from the you know for the company I was working for at the time, and Debian couldn't see any of the network drivers or the network cards or anything like that. And it was a fully supported network card. I mean, we basically told Dell we're running Linux on this and they actually do sell Linux servers, believe it or not. But it, you know, Ubuntu would work, Debian wouldn't. But as long as you know how to work around that, it's not a problem. I just like to uh, throw, that, throw that out there. Other flavors of Debian, there's uh, testing and unstable. So unstable is where packages go first. It's probably the closest equivalent that Debian has to a rolling release because it just keeps getting new updates. 
it'll break every now and then, but it get fixed um, pretty quickly. And packages will graduate into testing. Testing eventually will freeze. And there, there's going to be usually like a six-month period where they're fixing things up. And then it ultimately becomes the next Debian stable. Now, another thing about Debian is that it's probably one of, if not the most influential distributions of all, because they, in my opinion, have influenced more distributions than anything else. So many distributions are based on Debian. Linux just wouldn't be Linux without Debian. I think I think a lot of people will agree with that. Um, even though Debian has some warts and I just criticized it, believe me, the developers of Debian will also criticize it too. So I've actually spoken to them. It, it's mutual. We, we all get it. But um, it, it actually is a great distribution that has, um, you know, just done so much for the Linux community that it's just one of the most cherished for that reason. And if you like stability, then I think you're going to love Debian. I think it's worth mentioning, too, and this is, goes back to the future. This is one of the things that has hung up Debian is the non-inclusion of the uh drivers that are non-free and i see veronica explains left a comment here that says i'm optimistic yep. about debian drivers for the future including non-free is going to be swell and i i agree okay. with that that's this is where ubuntu leapfrogged ahead but was like, oh, we're just gonna include those non-free ones we know nvidia is not going to release an open source driver uh but we know nvidia makes a high quality card that we, we need to use this is where that debian problem comes in that jay mentioned for hardware compatibility and why it never got to be critical mass of, you know, the year of the Linux desktop for Debian, because not as many people run it on their desktop because right. of that video driver support, Wi-Fi card support and sound as well. Those are the three things that Debian was always slow on and their lack of inclusion of free, uh, the any proprietary drivers as a stance. I mean, great. They stood by their, you know, morals and we do not include these, but that came at the problems that we just mentioned. Yeah, so I think it's important to kind of touch on that a little bit. Uh, you know, what's the actual problem here? Because we also have to understand both sides, um, even though I, I have a very strong opinion here too. But the, the actual argument is going to be that um, a distribution, and I can even leave Debian out of this and just, just say distribution X, whatever it is. Um, if, if they have a proprietary driver that's not open source, and they put that on the CD or whatever a CD. What is this like? Nineteen ninety nine. It still says <laughs> it's got a CD icon. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, we'll go with that. So, um, if they do include those drivers on there, and these are drivers for hardware where the vendors themselves didn't um, upstream the drivers, and and they have a, a you know a proprietary driver that is not open source. It's just a um, a blob, so to speak. So, if they include that, the benefit is that everyone's hardware will have a better chance of working. So if you play games, your NVIDIA card is going to work better because you'll have that driver on there. But the trade-off, though, is that the I think one of the fears is that people might think ill of the distribution if it's crashing and it's unstable. You know how people are like, I hate this distribution. It's so horrible and it keeps dying on me when the problem could just be the proprietary driver. And then the opinion of the distribution goes down because, well, I mean they can't do anything about their users complaining about bugs in the proprietary driver because they don't have the code. But then if they don't include the driver, then people's hardware won't work to the fullest potential, which is also going to potentially develop a negative opinion. So it's really a lose-lose situation in every single um, regard. I cater towards Veronica's point, though, because... Um, I think it's important to, you know, stand for your ideals, but 
don't punish your users for it. That's never okay. Like I understand you might hate the proprietary drivers. I do too, but the opinion of Linux is never going to get better unless compatibility gets better. And like you said, some of these companies just won't open source the driver. And if we vote with our wallet, so to speak, they don't care because we're a smaller market share. They're they're selling to Windows users, so it doesn't bother them at all, not even a little bit. And we just don't have the footprint if everybody revolted to make them care. So it's a lose-lose situation in every regard. But um, the bottom line is when someone has hardware, they want it to work. They didn't buy a piece of hardware to put it on the shelf and uh, you know display it. They bought the hardware because they want to use it. And if even though we hate these proprietary things, they exist unfortunately, and they need to work. There's no excuse. Make them work. Don't punish the users for that. I think Debian understands that now because that's exactly what they're um, looking into doing. Like Veronica says, they're looking into putting those drivers right on the installation media. I think that's fair. They could put up a message and say, you know, these are not supported because we have we don't have the source code, but check this box during install if you have the hardware that you have and you need it. I think that's fair. I think that's a good compromise. And I think Debian's going on the right direction here. Yeah, it's as well as things. I, I don't mind it being a checkbox, so to speak. Like, I'm make me aware. I'll, you know, have my opinions on it. I check the box. I've agreed and say, all right, I know this is something I'm going to do. So it is a uh, it is a challenge, though. <laughs> it really is. And the last thing I'll say about that is um, the verbiage could just simply say something like, um, by checking this box, you agree that um, we're not responsible on, on our side for anything that could happen. And then if somebody goes in a forum and says, you know, my, like, distro sucks because in my NVIDIA card isn't working. And then someone could say, well, remember that checkbox that you would have checked during installation? That's kind of what we were talking about. I think that builds the understanding there. I think that's I know that legally there's other um, issues that make that more complicated. I won't go into, but. I do want to say I'm, I'm really excited for this new Debian release. I, I, I just can't wait until it comes out to review it, the, the final version, because I, I just can't wait to see what that's like being, you know, a bit easier to set up. And um, who knows? It, it'll probably be a great release. Yeah. No, it well it changes. It just took 20 years to happen. <laughs> it's a coming of age, um, yeah. I, I think. But Debian stable being what it is, it takes longer for them to um, go that direction. But so, yeah, I spent a lot of time on Debian. I'll try not to spend the, the, as much time on the rest, but I think it's kind of important, though, because Debian is the foundation for so many distributions. So I guess it kind of makes sense that I spent more time on it. Yeah. I think the um, obvious thing to transcend or transcend into is Ubuntu at this point, because um, there's pros and cons there as well. And since Ubuntu is one of the distributions that's built on top of Debian, it's a natural segue here. So... Ubuntu is a distribution that some people love to hate. It gets a lot of controversy uh, for a couple of reasons. I mean, you have Canonical making decisions that may or may not resonate with people. And sometimes people just hate things because it's popular or someone might just dislike it because they dislike it. But um, Ubuntu is a very solid distribution. They, I feel like they actually fix a lot of the problems that Debian has by you know, like we said earlier, including the drivers that are needed to make things happen. They add additional technologies on top of their distribution. You know, LexD, for example, is a, is a great example of that. And they have other solutions like uh, Moz, Metal as a Service. I, I probably just said that wrong. So sorry in advance, but, you know, it is what <laughs> it is. Um, but they have all these different technologies that they build on top of it. So they actually sync from Debian on stable 
but then they stabilize it themselves, which I kind of feel is a lot of unnecessary work, in my opinion. There's probably a better way to do that, but it's been working out for them. They release every six months. So there's a new release every six months. Uh, every other April is a LTS or long-term supported release, supported for uh, three years on the desktop, five on the server, if I'm not mistaken. Um, at, least, at least the five years is correct. It's been a while. I've been on the Ubuntu server book for a long time, so I've been kind of living in that world. So a lot of people will just use the LTS releases. The non-LTS releases are only supported for nine months. So I don't think it's very likely that a lot of people will run that because they'll have to keep updating it. So I wouldn't recommend it anyway. But if you want to preview what's coming, then those are a great way to get that. But LTS is usually the way to go. Another thing that Ubuntu does that I like is they have hardware enablement updates that usually land with the 0.2 point release. So for example, uh, 2204 came out then 2204.1 came out and 2204.2 is coming out. So the 0.2 release will grab the driver stack for the most recent interim release and pull it in to give you an updated kernel, updated drivers. So that's why you could download Ubuntu and have a greater chance of it working with the hardware because they keep that updated, which I think is a great thing for them to do. Um, but then again, Debian is fixing that too. So maybe that won't even be a problem. So Ubuntu is just um, a fantastic distribution, in my opinion, both on the desktop and the server. There's also the other desktop spins like Zubuntu for XFCE, Kubuntu, and so on. But the server version is what we're going to focus on. And um, I, I highly recommend it. But, but then again, Debian is great. I think if Ubuntu server is your primary distribution and you're looking for a plan B, then Debian might be that plan B if it isn't already your plan A, if that isn't already your main, because transitioning away from Ubuntu to Debian is not the hardest transition to do. In fact, it's probably the easiest one because the majority of the packages are going to be, you know, named the same. You have the same commands and they both use the app package manager. So there's a lot of similarities there. And I think you could go either direction. You could flip a coin and, and probably for the most part, unless you have like bleeding edge hardware, probably be just fine on uh, Debian or Ubuntu. Yeah. And Ubuntu, they they have a lot of little niceties that they add, like with their installer. When you're installing the server, being able just to throw your GitHub in there and have it grab your keys out of GitHub and throw them right in. No cloud in it, no special config. Just know your GitHub yep. ID, have your keys in GitHub for SSH, and it'll grab your public keys, throw them in there, and let you SSH in. Some of those little things like that make it kind of nice. They also have some cool configuration scripts that kind of build it out a little easier than I think Debian did, where you can just choose some predefined things that they have as an option when you're loading it. I think it just makes it really uh, pain-free for setting up the Ubuntu server. And I love the version numbering. By having the version numbers as opposed to, this is sometimes, I don't like when the the uh, Debian naming scheme, which follows Toy Story. <laughs> if, if someone oh, says call it Debian 11, 12, I, I think is better. I, they anyway. do call it that, but man, some people will say, oh, this is Bullseye or this, I'm like, uh, yeah. version is bullseye. I always have to double. I get it mixed up in my head occasionally. I like numbers and I know when the release was because I, I don't know when Debian 11 came out or Debian 9 came out, but I know when Ubuntu 22 came out. Oh, 2204. The year right. 22, four month. I actually just, anyone in software, if you're using that type of naming scheme to understand the versions, so I know the date that version was released, that's just a lot 
I don't know if everyone could do that. I think that'd be great, but a bunch of doing it makes it really simple. And the fact that they throw the letters LTS for long-term support right after it, uh, that gives you a nice predictability about the Ubuntu server. And if you're someone distributing applications, and recently I, I did a talk about the Cisco business dashboard, which runs on one of the LTS releases, that makes it very clear, like, hey, this is the LTS release you want to use for this. Um, matter of fact, it's very specific with some of the installers because they've created packages that are super interdependent on usually one of the Ubuntu distributions because of that more predictable nature. Yeah, yeah, those are all really, really good points there too. So a, a lot of these, a lot of the issue here is the complexities around the distributions because there's, you know, going to be things they do well, some things they don't do as well. Um, getting back to the name thing. I kind of feel, you know, in order to play devil's advocate here, but this is my opinion anyway, the, the date naming scheme can backfire pretty easily because De uh, Ubuntu gets away with it because they, they release every six months. So they don't have to worry about the preconceived notion, oh, that was released two years ago? Eh, I don't know. You know, because if it, they don't have that release schedule as frequently mm. as Ubuntu has, then someone might think of it as old and they don't want to use it. If Debian did that, I mean, could you imagine there'd be like, um, <laughs> what, 2204 and then 2507 or something? I don't know. I'm just making up numbers here because you never know when it's going to come out. So people could think the most recent release is old. Well, technically kind of is, but even though it's kind of not because it is the most recent release, but I just think that could backfire. I, I think for Debian, you know, 11, 12, and so on is, is great, but everyone does use the release code names, which can be a little confusing. But then again, I was on the Let's Encrypt site the other day looking at um, if their Ubuntu instructions have changed, and I had to select Ubuntu uh, 20. And I'm like, Ubuntu 20? Okay, 2004? 2010? Can you be more specific? Because that's something that a lot of people do uh, that I don't like. But because um, there's a very big difference between Ubuntu 2004, 2010, or 2204, and um, eventually going to be 2210. But, you know, I, I I mean, community members saying that is fine, but Let's Encrypt was a little surprising to me. But uh, either way, there's confusion, confusing version numbers. I mean, we have Windows 11 now. Whatever happened to 9? Don't answer that. So, yeah, fun times. All right. Now it's the next just show we should uh, dive into here. I want to mention Alpine Linux really quick. I, I haven't used it personally, but it's a very small distribution and um, very popular on containers. Like for containers that could run in just, you know, eight megabytes of, of space. Um, if you want to have it installed to the metal, I think it's around 130, 140 megabytes. Megabytes? Oh my gosh. Like, mm. um, you know, I've, I've seen DOS installations that had more data than that. It, it's it's crazy how small it is. It, it's more of a specialist distribution for more advanced users that want to kind of just, you know, um, have something small to base whatever it is they're building on top of. So I, I hear a lot of good things about it. I, I can't speak too much about it myself, but um, it, it does exist. And it, if you're into containers, it's probably definitely something to check out for sure, because that's a really small footprint. And if you run it as your um, distribution on the metal, let us know. I want to hear about that, because I think that'd be interesting to, to hear about someone's experience running Alpine outside of containers and actually, you know, actually installing it on a virtual disk or a physical disk even just to see what that's like. But yeah, Alpine Linux. Alpine Linux. <laughs> So again, in no particular order, um, one I think one that a lot of people don't really think of is Fedora when it comes to home lab because the first. So Tom, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you, when you think of Fedora? 
Ooh, you know, I, I, I use, I get the, when I think of Red Hat, it's always the dependency hell who <laughs> turned me well, off years that. ago. Uh, but other than that, I always think of it as more their, you know, and I, I'm actually a little confused by this because I, I get it mixed up. So I know you understand it better than me. The RHEL versus the um, Red Hat, you know, their business editions versus the Fedora, which is the, you know, public facing editions. So oh, yeah. first one is the confusion. Which one is the paid one is the first question I, I have. I know I know what they are, but it is one of those things that always makes me pause and think about which one. One is paid support. One is free that you can get. Yep. Well, I think the mo the first thing people think of is workstation because that's part of the name. And we just say Fedora, but a lot of times people are actually talking about the workstation version that includes the GNOME desktop and it is for your laptop or desktop, probably not what people are running in their home lab, but there's also Fedora server, which is another one that um, you, know, you could download and it's actually pretty good. But a lot of people don't think of Fedora when it comes to servers, but it is pretty um, comparable. I mean, it, it's actually a, a really good distribution. They even have a, um, they have Core OS, Fedora Core OS, which is weird because Fedora started as Fedora Core. That was its original name on the desktop. And now we have, uh, they, they took the name or the part, the core part out of it. But then later on, um, after the Core OS purchase, now we have Fedora Core OS, which is not the same as Fedora Core back in mm. the early days. Not confusing at all. But Fedora <laughs> Core OS is for running containers. So it's a, a distribution that is built just for that purpose. And then Fedora Server is your um, probably your closest CentOS equivalent on Fedora, even though Fedora, excuse me, CentOS is part of the same landscape. But if you're wanting something more bleeding edge, because Fedora tracks newer software, they're not older like Debian. They have newer bleeding edge things, and maybe you want to benefit from the newer technologies on your server as well. So when they come out with a new release, even the desktop release, they they're coming out with the others as well. So Fedora Server is a real version. Fedora Core OS is a real version. They're all free. So to answer your question, you could just download it just like anything else. And I, I used to not really like Fedora, to be honest. But nowadays, it's come around. Oh, my gosh. It is actually really good now. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things. I always thought the performance lagged. It was always slow. It had... Um, far fewer packages than any other distribution. It became a chore to find uh, things to install, even open source applications. I remember one time CMUSE um, a bunch of years ago, open source media player for your terminal, trying to find it in Fedora, not available. But nowadays, that's really not a problem anymore. Um, it, it just isn't an issue. And Fedora has fixed probably every complaint that I've ever had about it. And it's a really good distribution and it's highly recommended. So. Um, try it out in your server. Try out the server version. You might like it. So, something worth looking at. Yeah, but I mean, now that we're, now we're talking about Fedora, we may as well talk about CentOS. And this is where things get you know really confusing. Off the rails. <laughs> this is part of the reason why I think we wanted to do this because we did a Linux episode some time back, but this is more of an updated look at at the ecosystem. A lot has changed. A lot has changed, and I, I'm trying to remember when we talked about this. It wasn't the consensus that we did that episode before the CentOS uh, switcheroo. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. And, well, I think there was some announcements, but no clear path forward. So there was announcements of things changing. I think that's around when we released the episode, but we didn't know. It was before the existence of Rocky Linux. So, And right. there was that delay from announcements to then Rocky Linux and some of the other things that happened afterwards. Right. So actually, I think that was more the um, reason when we brought up Alma Linux and Rocky Linux. So 
Um, I'll start with Red Hat. I think that's probably a natural segue into CentOS and everything else because Red Hat is, I mean, people might be running this in their home lab because you can get a developer license. That um, A lot of people don't know that. You can actually get that if that's something you want and you get your updates and everything. Um, so if you wanted to check out Red Hat, that is something you could do. You have to sign up for an account if you're okay with that, and then you can have that. Um, but it, it wants a support agreement. That That's kind of how this is set up. It's open source software. Anybody can recompile it as long as they remove the branding, call it whatever they want, that's fine. You can download everything. And and people have, <laughs> a lot of people have. So um, if you want Red Hat proper, then there's a support agreement if you're using it for a company. But depending on how many licenses they let you have, it'd be kind of a challenge unless you only have one server. So in your home lab, which some people may, maybe you're they're running Red Hat, you could absolutely do that. It's a very stable distribution, um, not unlike Debian, but not quite the same either. They sometimes have interesting um, changes that they make. For example, ButterFS isn't available. I, I, I'm sure you can, you can install this, but it's at least not the default. In Fedora, ButterFS is the default, and they want that to be the default because they want to set the example to convince Red Hat to go back on their decision to remove ButterFS as the default. And that's, so Fedora in some ways is the proving ground for some of these technologies, but I don't want anyone to think that Fedora becomes Red Hat because that's not true. But anything in Fedora might graduate into Red Hat possibly. So, you know, Fedora is sticking with ButterFS, for example, to set that example for Red Hat proper. But then largely CentOS has been the open source, totally free to download and get updates for distribution, a respin of Red Hat without the branding, just recompiling everything. And it was, at one point, it seemed like a bit of a thorn in Red Hat's side because um, at first CentOS was not actually owned by Red Hat. It was its own community project. That's part of the name, Community Enterprise Operating System which is kind of like a weird thought now considering yeah. what happened. <laughs> but anyway, um, what it was really great though because the relationship worked. If you wanted to um, test something out on, let's say, I don't know, Red Hat 7 or whatever it is, just download CentOS 7 and test it out. You don't need a license. And then if if you're working in, a, in an enterprise and you, you need that license, then you could buy the license, but at least you have a proof of concept first to get buy-in support for that because you need buy-in support to get a license. Um, which is one of the downsides there. But it is a stable distribution. It's um, recognized by a lot of people. There's certification tracks around it. So it's very, very popular in the enterprise. So it might be a really good fit for those of you that are working in enterprise or want to someday. Um, and then CentOS, now we're getting into CentOS. So CentOS, like I mentioned, was that open source free respin. Eventually, Red Hat owned it and we thought it was going to go away. It didn't, thankfully. IBM bought Red Hat, and then we're thinking again, CentOS is going to have some problems, but you know nothing happened, and some time has passed, and everyone forgot. And then eventually, Red Hat, um, you know, basically just or IBM or both of, just came over and said, "Hey, we're changing everything all of a sudden, so figure it out." Um, now I know this isn't what a lot what a lot of people want to hear, but a distribution is is um, allowed to go any direction they want, and like I mentioned earlier, they can go any direction at any time with or without notice, which is why you should always have a plan B. So I don't have an issue with CentOS doing what they did because they have every right to do it. My issue is how they went about doing it. It was sudden; they didn't give people a lot of time, like in companies, to switch. So basically, what it is is that they 
decided to end support for CentOS 8, which would become CentOS Stream, which confused a lot of people. I'll get into that in a minute. And all of a sudden, companies had to figure out what to do. And that really upset a lot of people. And some people might really enjoy the idea around CentOS Stream, and they might be excited about that, and they want to try it out, but maybe they won't because, you know, they messed me up once, they could do it again, you know, but what's the next thing that's going to happen? So I feel like it's hurt trust a bit, but CentOS Stream also kind of gets a, some negativity, which I'll get into, but um, everything I've, I've set up to now is CentOS as we've known it for most of its life. Now CentOS, as we know it, is CentOS Stream, and the consensus is that it's a rolling distribution, you know, that is uh, based on Red Hat, but it's not. And this is why it's so confusing because that's what everyone thinks it is. And they even re removed the rolling terminology from uh, at least one of their pages where they, they actually claimed that themselves, but it's not a rolling release. But the term stream kind of makes it sound like it is. But what CentOS Stream actually is, is the upstream development branch of Red Hat. So it, it tracks ahead of Red Hat. It's not technically a rolling distribution. It is kind of in the sense that updates are constantly coming, but there are releases. It's, it's almost like a hybrid of sorts, like a hybrid development point release, if I had to guess. So it's a little confusing, right? I think that's why a lot of people are kind of put off by it. But um, when this all came out, you had Alma Linux and Rocky Linux at the same time um, saying, hey, we're going to save the day and we're going to do our own recompile of Red Hat to make it what CentOS used to be, which was which is great because that gave a lot of people something to fall back on. And being a drop-in replacement like that is is awesome because then you don't have to redo as much of your tooling as you, you would have had to otherwise. So, you know, kudos to both of those projects, Rocky Linux and Alma Linux and I think the obvious question is which one to use? Which one wins between Alma Linux and Rocky Linux? And and what I say is flip a coin. I yeah. don't have a preference at all. I mean, they're the same. The branding is going to be different. There's going to be different communities. What I would suggest is look at the communities, just browse the forums, find out, you know, how people treat each other, the mindsets and things like that, and just find out which community uh, you think you might want to be a part of, and then make your decision based on that. I'm not going to push anyone in one direction or the other. I think they're both great. So um, if you if you want, just flip a coin and go with it, and you you probably won't regret it because it's going to be compatible. So I think the whole enterprise Linux space just got a lot more confusing, but I'm hoping that's helped some people understand where the situation is today. Yeah, and it's going to be going forward. Um, there's choices, and there's a whole write up, and I see people discussing like XCPNG and Zen Server. XCPNG is CentOS based in current times here in January of 2023. But they have entire write-ups of because we talked about this on our last episode. So we'll not rehash it much, but essentially they're controlling because they're an appliance, the spin, so to speak, and all the different packages and updates on there. But going forward, there's a lot of things, free PBX and many other, and we mentioned, as I said in that last episode, that are all sent to us based. So they're going to have to make a choice probably at some point of we want to maintain this ourselves, essentially making a distribution, or we're just going to go ahead and borrow from Rocky or Alma and fit those yep. in as needed. So it is going to create some changes going forward over the next few years. So there's a comment in the chat room I want to highlight here. Um, and I'm trying to find it now because I might have already um, scrolled. But basically, um, oh, I found it. So looks like Jan is saying Alma Linux has commercial backing. Rocky Linux is purely community effort. 
Um, actually, that's not correct. It was correct for a very short period of time. And I think that's where this comes from. So the, um, you know, Cloud Linux is a company that's on top of TuxCare. They've sponsored the channel. Um, they did start Alma Linux. They got that going. Um, they called it Project Linux, L-E-N-I-X, when it was in development. And then until it got its proper name of Alma Linux when they released the uh, stable version there. So what they did, and I thought this was so cool, they um, they gave control of the community, and then after they developed it, they they developed this, they removed their control because what the idea was, they wanted they want to build trust. They don't want someone to say, well, it's just another company controlling this, so why would I go that direction? So they actually removed control. They created a uh, steering committee around this to make sure that um, something like that couldn't happen again. Um, you know, Cloud Linux, I don't think they would be the type of company to do that, but, you know, corporations, you know, what if another company buys another company and this happens, that happens. So right out the gate after it was developed, they wanted to remove that. So it is a community uh, distribution now in, in exactly the same way Rocky Linux is. I think the difference is, is that for a brief period of time while it was in development, it wasn't. But then when it came out, they um, later removed the um, control and the and the chair of the board is actually um, in Lansing, uh, just forty minutes from me, actually. Oh. So, yeah, I mean, small world, right? So, um, it, and I've met her; she's awesome. So, um, her name is Benny; she's great. So, there, there's just a lot to love about it. But considering they're both community distributions, even though I've you know engaged with Alma Linux and their community more, I still say they're both great. Just flip a coin, and either direction is going to be solid. Yep. Now, one of them that was uh, creating some chatter, and I've never tested it. I, I'm well aware of it because I actually have a few of them, a few of their stuffed animals hanging on my wall behind me. Is OpenSuse? Is it Susie? Suse? I'm, I'm Susa. Probably... It's Susa. 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 Yeah, there's a weird video if you could go on YouTube and find it where it's just people <laughs> saying it for like uh, I don't know how long, one or two minutes straight, just over and over and over again. Um, the, uh, Open Susa and Susa. Um, I made the mistake of thinking they were the same YouTube channel. They have different YouTube channels, but they both have the same angle. One's more comedy than the other. But yeah, there's a video about that. So Susa is a distribution that I quite enjoy. Actually, I don't cover it as much lately. Um, not for any specific reason, just because you know you can't cover everything. But um, I've spoken to the the people from the community. I've had an interview with at least one person on the channel from that community. But there's different um, variations of SUSE. So there's SUSE Enterprise, which is going to be the um, Red Hat equivalent where you need a support agreement for it. Open SUSE is their um, freely downloadable distribution that you could just install on whatever. You don't have to pay anything for it. What they've done lately, I thought was so novel, like so amazing. They um, moved their Open SUSE to the same base as their Enterprise Linux. So nowadays, if you install OpenSUSE, you're getting the same packages that you would get in the enterprise uh, version that you would otherwise pay for. So you get that stability for free on your desktop or laptop. I mean, how cool is that? that that's just so cool of them to do it. And it's a win-win because they don't have to develop, you know, obviously, they're they, yes, they're developing more than one distribution, but it's not as much development when there's one base because now you just develop the base and then the differences between the enterprise and the um, one you could freely download. There's also Tumbleweed, which is their rolling release. And it's actually pretty good. I, I actually like it quite a bit. So uh, they're not gonna be as bleeding edge as Arch Linux, 
the packages aren't going to come as quickly, but they do. So you just install it once, upgrade forever, which is you know how that works. Rolling release, obviously. So you have Enterprise, you have OpenSUSE, which is named Leap, is how we differentiate that Leap versus Tumbleweed. Leap being the stable one, Tumbleweed being the rolling one. Um, the only thing I'm a little concerned about is their migration to the advanced Linux platform. I think that's what ALP stands for. Um, I'm not quite sure what form that's going to take. I do like the direction they're going, so I'm not against it. It's more like having a replaceable master uh, blob, so to speak, but it's not proprietary. It's imagine like, you know, on a phone, you have a operating system and a secondary, you can go back to the other one or it flips in the other direction and you download the entire thing when it updates. So some people don't like that idea and I totally understand that. Um, but I think there there's a lot of good that can happen there, and it doesn't stop anyone from customizing their distribution like a lot of people think. Um, it doesn't stop any customization at all. You don't lose anything. But my concern is, you know, they just switched. They made a lot of changes. They just switched the base over to Enterprise. They just came out with Leap and then Tumbleweed, and now they're, they're going to change again. So um, I'm not against the change. I just think... You know, can we just settle on one thing for a while before you go in this other direction? Can we just like enjoy this for a few more years until we you change it up on us? Um, because, you know, it's more for the stable people than anything else. I, I think my mindset is, okay, if they switch to ALP, what's next? Are they just going to wipe the floor with that? Just, just wipe it out and go a different direction again? Are they going to bump the version no number up to 80 next time? Because um, Leap was leaping the version number ahead. You can't make this stuff up, right? I just feel like there's a lot of uncertainty there, but... That's my only complaint. OpenSUSE is great. SUSE in general is great. Um, and come on, has a chameleon for the mascot. I mean, how I, cool is that? And they do cool videos and parody videos. But yep. I will answer a question that I've seen more than one person ask and says, why isn't it more popular? And the easy answer is going to be popularity is often driven by tutorials and availability of information on a distro. If you search for how to set something up, whether that's Greylog or any of the other projects. And some of them do have some instructions for some of the other operating systems. But as you look around, you'll find the majority of applications, they'll suggest either Debian, Ubuntu, or occasionally Red Hat. But Debian and Ubuntu pretty much documented all over the place for whatever app you want to run. And a lot of times people are driven to start with what's their goal. I want to run this particular application. They look up the instructions on how to run it. And this is a question that even comes up for me the instructions for how to run something. I'll cover it on how to do it in Debian, or maybe I'll use Ubuntu because that will be the package maintainer. And people start asking for support. I can't get this working in SUSE. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any instructions. I don't yeah. know the differences. And matter of fact, the person who wrote the installer has a dependency checker all using apt. So that's why it works on Debian and Ubuntu. So that's one of the reasons some of these don't get as popular. And anytime they create any confusion, like Jay just kind of went over, you don't encourage people who are maintaining software to write tutorials to do it because then they have to start figuring out which version it works on or what the differences are that break. Right. And they're going, this works. It's free. You can get a bunch of for free. You can get Debian for free. They both use apt. Here's a tutorial on how to make my application work on that platform. Now, Docker changes the game a little bit because Docker compose is going to be Docker composed on different systems, but nonetheless, that's one of the reasons the popularity of the Debian based and Ubuntu based distributions. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Another reason why OpenSUSE in general isn't as popular, you have to also understand too, there's regional popularity. That's a, That plays a big part here because 
um, Susa is not very popular in the United States. Does it have a presence? Absolutely. Yeah. I have seen these servers in the wild. I know they exist, but far fewer than others. But in other countries, you might find the opposite. You might find Susa is more popular and it is more popular overseas than it is here. So there's going to be a lot of that going on too, that for some reason it just didn't catch on as much here as it did um, overseas. So just keep that in mind. Sometimes regional plays a part too. Yep. Now, the next one is going to be, I probably, I don't know how much time we have left, but the, probably the last one here um, is Pop! OS. It's an interesting yep. idea. Me and Jay are both big fans of the distro. It's a hardware company that's getting into the distro game to be able to create a really nice experience. And I think the polish that Pop! OS adds on top of Ubuntu is Great. And I don't just say that I've been using it as my daily driver and what we are recording this podcast on what I do my video editing on what I do my daily business on is all systems yep. running the pop OS now desktop distribution not focused on server but if you're in Jay has definitely got plenty of reviews on the channel of their hardware from their laptops to their desktops, even their keyboards, they are doing a great job of creating that level of integration. So you're never worried about any hardware support. You're going to get top-notch support. You're going to get really good uh, experience using it. Now you can, of course, load other versions of Linux on their hardware because it's still Linux compatible. But I think Pop! OS is, is definitely one for the desktop that I really like. Yeah, it, it's it's just such a godsend to Linux. I mean, it is so good. I mean, the one of the things about it is a lot of people think it's just a reskin of Ubuntu. I can understand why they think that, even though it's completely false and there's no truth to that at all. Is it based on Ubuntu? Yeah, it is. It has those repositories too, but they have... Um, Pop! OS is actually a semi-rolling release, and not a lot of people know that. So... If you get uh, if you install Ubuntu, for example, there was a time where Ubuntu froze the version of Thunderbird and uh, didn't want to go to a newer version at all. But Pop OS had the new version because they have a rolling repository that they add on top of it. It's not a full rolling release because they don't give you rolling everything. It's just ad hoc, right? If the if a lot of their users are asking for the newer version of Thunderbird or this, that wouldn't otherwise be in Ubuntu's repositories. They'll put it often in theirs and you'll get it on their platform. So that's a good thing too. There's a lot of uh, performance improvements. Like for example, ZRAM is now the, de uh, the default in Pop! OS. So um, that's going to have a higher priority over swap, which is going to you know, compress some things in memory, just let your memory go even further, offer some performance improvements. Um, your games will probably run faster now after they made this change. Um, one of the issues though is that, and this is why people think it's just a reskin of Ubuntu, they're very modest. They don't brag. You know, they, they don't um, release a blog post very often saying, hey, look at this amazing thing that we've done. Sometimes they do. But I remember one time I was in their chat room randomly and they were talking about switchable graphics. And this is before that was really common. I'm like, wait a minute, you, you've enabled switchable graphics? Yeah, we did. I'm like, did you want to announce that anywhere? Um, did you want to come out the blog post? Nah, it's, it's just there for people. I'm like, how are people going to like know or just you know value your hard work if you're not telling people what you're doing? So some people think that it is a reskin of Ubuntu based on that. They, they're not banging the drum every time they do something, but they, they make so many improvements to everything because they understand what desktop users are looking for and the experience that they want, and they go the extra mile with it. And I, I just think it's an amazing thing. They're in a state of transition right now to a new desktop environment that yes. they're creating. So 
Um, there, there are going to be some warts here and there while they make that transition because the developers are developing the new thing while they're also fixing bugs on the old thing. So they're going to be spread a little bit thin, but this is very important for their future because um, System76 has never really wanted to be beholden to uh, another platform's decisions. Right. Um, and that's why they do this because GNOME is a great desktop environment, but the changes that they're putting on top of it are getting you know to be quite a few that in and of itself can cause bugs because you're making gnome do things that gnome wasn't meant to do and at what point do you say okay we're just forcing gnome to be something else why don't we just develop the something else that we want it to be and that makes more sense but unfortunately there's a transition period there i'm not saying it's unstable or anything i, I had one issue since i think last fall that uh, their documentation helped me fix which may or may not have been because of this but Honestly, it wasn't that uh, big of a deal to fix, and I didn't really mind all that much. But that was like the only issue I've had with it. I think it's been very stable, very solid. They enable your hardware in just the right way. They're all about performance, and they have flat pack support built right in. I can go on and on. The tiling is amazing. It's just a fantastic distribution for sure. Yeah, so it's it's one I've chose for even I have a brand new uh, Dell laptop that I'm running it on. So whether using their hardware or not, um, it works great. I'm actually surprised yeah. how good the support is for my Dell. With the minor exception Jay helped me with was, um, well, we talked about it a little bit. I should say the power problems, and this is just the kernels are not as up to date in Linux right now to take advantage of some of the low powered states. So there's still some more drain on it when it's in, in idle and sleep modes, but that's something I know will get fixed over time and it's not that big of a deal to me. Yeah. I like the fact that you could easily engage with them in the chat room and find out where things are because yeah. I, I purchased a, you know, one of the new AMD GPUs It's still in the box. I can't wait to try it out. You can get it to work in Linux. I, I've seen at least one blog post with all the stuff in there you have to do. You need a newer version of Mesa. You need um, a specific kernel for this to work. And, and AMD upstream this. So the, the code exists. It just takes a while for the distributions to get a hold of it. Yeah. So if you were to plug in one of those new GPUs right now, it, it, you're not going to have a good experience yet. But I just asked Pop OS, I'm like, is this something that you're looking at? And they are. You know, They are looking into this. And, and they do want to get this enabled. And I predict they'll probably get it enabled before Ubuntu will, because they'll probably, um, in their repository, include the newer uh, driver stack and everything that's needed for everyone. And, they'll, and they probably won't make an announcement. I wish they'd do a better job of that. I think, it's, it, I think they should absolutely make an announcement when the new AMD RDNA 3 GPUs are supported. That's a pretty big deal. So hopefully they, they let everybody know that. But I literally messaged them i'm like yeah i don't know if you guys are even planning on doing an announcement is this on your radar it is they're working on it so i, I like to know that they have that um, pulse in the community where you could just kind of find out where they're at on something rather than um, not know if the hardware is going to work or when it's going to work i think that's important yep um probably we can't leave this podcast at least mentioning arch <laughs> yeah you know i i think Arch Linux is a fantastic distribution, and, and I think it's great for servers. And I know that's surprising. Um, some people are like, what? It's rolling. Yeah, no. I, I feel very strongly that rolling is the future. And I also feel very strongly that rolling does not necessarily mean less stable. It does now, yes. But it doesn't have to. The, the whole idea behind rolling doesn't mean it has to be 
um, something that can break or something that most likely will break or is unstable. Um, you could do a rolling distribution the right way and it'd be great. And with Arch Linux, the fewer packages, the better. So even if you just had like Docker and you're running Docker containers and you just had that one package installed, I mean, that's a pretty small support surface. And the benefit is there's no new release. So you don't have to like redo all your servers again, just make sure you keep them updated. You do have to watch it a little bit. Um, Arch Linux, the difference here is that they don't make changes to things. Like Ubuntu, for example, is going to add performance tweaks to GNOME. They'll upstream that, whatever it is. Um, they'll add those tweaks for their users. Arch is more, we'll give you the software as the developer intended. We're not going to make any changes. Uh, most bug reports probably won't be um, anything more than them linking to the upstream bug report because everything comes from upstream. So you have to keep that in mind. Um, you might have an, an experience that's not going to be as stable just based on that. But if you had a distribution that's rolling on the server that you know, maybe it wasn't as bleeding edge and people fine tune things more and, and you had a competent team of developers behind it that could keep it going, absolutely rolling is a great way to go. And I think it's the future. But Arch Linux is also great. You just have to um, have a bit of a different mindset when you manage it on the server. And I, I do feel very strongly that it's great for servers. I mean, and Linode even offers it on their platform. They even have Kelly Linux, by the way, which is actually kind of weird, but they just added that. So yeah, um, that's another quick mention. Kelly Linux, but I'm not going to get into that uh, rabbit hole right now. <laughs> that's yeah. a whole other story. Yeah, yeah. Ke Kelly's good. It's it's kind of dedicated for hacking, if you don't know. In yeah. it's pretty much be it's has all the tools loaded up, preloaded in in that distribution. So um it's not really something we'll dive into as a topic here, but definitely if you're into the hacking stuff, I've I've actually looked at uh Parrot. I haven't looked at it recently, but if you can dig around to my channel, you'll find a review of Parrot, which is a competing one. Uh there are some differing opinions. So there's Parrot and those, those are both dedicated hacking uh Linux distributions. Yep. Yeah. There, there's so many distributions and I know we're going to get comments. What about X? What about Y? We know. Well, there's we're, so we're many distributions. <laughs> we know how many distros are out there. So, um, and it's impossible to cover them all, but maybe if there's enough of these, we might uh, either handle it in, in one of the follow-up or Q&A episodes, or maybe we'll do a part two someday if there's too many that we didn't mention. But I think it's more just um, an update on the ecosystem around Linux as of today, because again, yeah. we've done a video on Linux before, but I think it's, important to kind of go back and say, okay, what is this state? Kind of like uh, Picard on the Enterprise when he enters the bridge, <laughs> like damage log. report. <laughs> the Linux log. Yeah, the damage report. report. And then, yeah, um, something like that. But yeah, there's there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on there. And um, yeah, there's there's one of those things that the, it's a debated topic, but it's a little bit simpler. And as you work your way up and you start doing this professionally, you'll see a lot less variety there. The variety does not exist as much once you get into the enterprise space. It's pretty much a lot of things running on uh, Red Hat Enterprise, you know, with uh, support, a lot of things, a lot of servers built on Debian and a lot of things built on Ubuntu and some of their support and Canonical's support they offer for that. So you're, yep. less variation, but hey, it's fun to play. This is how you learn. That's why we bring this show to you give you some ideas let us know hit us up with some feedback feedback at the homelab.show we love hearing from you and uh this was a fun episode and we're looking forward to seeing you guys next week see you any then. final thoughts jay use whatever just show makes you happy right yeah use whatever <laughs> makes you happy avoid the drama and the toxicity i, I see yes. so many people saying oh that distro's garbage like 
really like like could you do like share your notes with me where you came to this conclusion um because apparently it's garbage so nobody uses it like it's just so silly when people think say then they say things like that i understand if you don't like it you don't like it it's perfectly fine to say that but let's just be nice because i mean everyone has their preference and it doesn't yes. matter just let them use what they want yep all right well thanks for joining us and uh take care